Submitted. We'll hear argument next in number 03-878, Clark versus Martinez. And uh, number 03-7434, Benitez versus Rosos. Oh, Ruth, I gave it to Nina. Mr. Needler. Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the Court. These cases implicate the fundamental power of the United States to protect its borders by excluding aliens who arrive at its borders but are found under the law not to qualify for admission. This Court held more than 100 years ago in Nishimura Eku that the power of a nation to forbid the entrance of foreigners within its dominions is inherent in sovereignty and essential to self-preservation. If it were otherwise, the integrity of the nation's borders and its security would be at the mercy of a foreign power who might choose to foist aliens onto our country or to the self-help efforts of aliens who might leave another country coming to our shores. The migration crises involving Haitians and Cubans over the last 35 years vividly illustrate the adverse consequences of such a regime. And events of recent years confirm that the threats to the nation's borders and security are not limited to nearby nations. But this Court held only three years ago that uh, the statute before us here does not uh, permit uh, the Attorney General to hold the alien indefinitely. Uh, the Court addressed one of the statutes before uh, the Court here. Uh, it, it's important, I, I think, to recognize um, another statute and that is, uh, uh, reflects the background principle of this Court's decision in Mazai. And if I may explain, um, to do that, this Court made clear in Mazai that an alien has no substantive due process right to enter the United States when the uh, executive branch has determined under the law that he has no right to enter the United States. But, Mr. The relevant Peter, recognizing that distinction, is that a distinction drawn by the statute that's before us? Yes, I believe it is. But, I, but, it, but, um, but first of all, there is another statute which is highly relevant to this, and that is 1182D5A, the parole statute. Uh, it is the parole statute that, that has long governed whether an alien who arrives at our shores and has not uh, been shown to be admissible May enter the United May enter the United States. The parole statute is set forth at, uh, at Petition Appendix 3A. Excuse me, uh, page 3A of our brief. That is the only statute that affirmatively authorizes aliens to enter the United States. Uh, that statute is obviously confers no rights. It is written entirely in terms of the discretion of the Attorney General, now the Secretary of Home, Homeland Security. It says the Attorney the Secretary may in his discretion, temporarily, under conditions that he prescribes, and for urgent and humanitarian reasons, parole an alien into the United States. <coughs> but it says that parole does not constitute an admission, and it may be 
revoked at any time when the Secretary, in his opinion, concludes that the purposes of the parole have been satisfied. So are you, are you arguing now that, that 5A, D5A, is the statute under which you are detaining him and that uh, 1231A6 has nothing to do with no, we, the case? No, they, they are independent authorities for the detention. All right, so, so you're arguing, then you are. You're saying this is coming to me a little bit anew. I perhaps didn't read it carefully enough. But I thought... Let's assume you lose on 1231A6, that I can't think of a way. Let's assume that I can't think of a way of applying the same words to your uh, alien uh, to mean something different than were applied to the alien who was in Zadvita. Suppose you lose on that point. Now you're saying, well, independently of that, we have a different statute under which we can detain him. Namely, D five eleven eighty two D five A is that yes, absolutely. And the, now, and the now is that argument? I, I mean, I'm sorry that I yes. No, we, that, we make we do make that argument. And is it was that made in the courts below and everything that they're yes, doing we made it basis. we made it in both courts below, and we and we think it's clear from the background of, of this statute that it does that it does confer independent uh, authority. This statute just 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 goes in a circle because it ends uh, the way end, uh, A ends is that after revoking the parole. The alien shall forthwith return or be returned to the custody from which he was paroled, and thereafter his case shall continue to be dealt with in the same manner as that of any other applicant for admission to the United States, which refers you back to, uh, to, uh, uh, 11, uh, 1231A6. No, it, uh, with respect, it doesn't. 1231A6 is an aggr- additional, on its face, is an additional grant of detention authority. It is not a, it, uh, but whereas, uh, the, the parole authority, which, which for years until 19... Well, shall continue to be dealt with in the same manner as that of any other applicant. And an applicant dealt with in, includes, it seems to me, uh, uh, 1231A6. An applicant for admission includes anyone who has been found not to be admissible to the United States. 8 U.S.C. 1225A1 provides that any, any alien in the United States who has not affirmatively been found to be admissible is an applicant for admission. And uh, the, uh, the, the statutes dealing with applicants for admission or aliens who arrive at our shore uh, establish that de- detention, even indefinite detention, is, is not only permitted but required unless the attorney uh, secretary How would that, how would that apply to someone who hasn't gotten parole, hasn't gotten any permission, who snuck across the border? And that's one of the pieces of this that is incomprehensible, that you were suggesting someone can be detained <coughs> indefinitely who we allowed in temporarily, but such treatment could not occur with respect to somebody that had no per- permission at any time to be here. Yes. Well, the... The parole statute, if someone was taken into custody, the parole statute who had sneaked across the border, that person under the 1996 revisions is an applicant for mission and, uh, for admission, and the parole statute uh, would govern that. As a constitutional matter, that, uh, and particularly with respect to procedural due process, the Court has suggested in a number of its cases that there may be a difference between somebody who arrives at our borders and, uh, and is stopped and somebody who, who sneaks through uh, at least as a procedural matter, the government would have to establish that he has no right to be here. But well, are, but are, are, are you saying that if, if an alien on, uh, who seeks admission and is denied admission, and is at Ellis Island or JFK Airport, uh, 
that the Attorney General is does not have to consult uh, 1231A6? No, I, we, we believe uh, the parole statute furnishes independent authority. Where does it say that? I mean, the reason I guess I missed it is because when I looked at your table of contents and elsewhere in the brief, it seems phrased totally in terms of 1231A6. That's the heading. Each argument seems to support that. And then on page, you know, when you refer to this, I guess on page uh, 26, you're talking in a section about what 1231 must be because of the structure of it, and they, then you refer to other uh, provisions, such as the one you're now mentioning. I just didn't pick up that it was a totally independent basis. Right, and, and, and if I may, the, the, the special statutes that govern the parole of Mariel Cuba, mm-hmm. Cubans that we reproduce in the appendix to our brief at mm-hmm. uh, 212.12 uh, were promulgated in 1987 before 1231A6 was enacted in 1996. Yeah, but where does it say that? I'd like to just glance at it even now. Where does it say that in your brief, that it's a totally independent basis? Uh, on page uh, 12, uh, 26 to 27. No, that's what I read, and it was in a structure called the Statutory Instructs Text and Structure Support uh, the Secretary's Detention Authority, which is under a bigger heading saying the text structure and history of Section 1231A6 confirm the executive branches. And I should, so I should also — Perhaps I could be forgiven for not understanding And, and I should also point out that, it, that in, our, in our response to the petition in the Benitez uh, petition, we expressly, provo- we expressly argue that 1182D5A is an independent source uh, of no, authority. But, but if, if there's a statute that uh, directs you — uh, with reference to a class, uh, that statute is applicable. And this person is within that class. So how can you tell us we can't go or that we needn't go uh, to 1231? My, my point is that's not the exclusive basis. I'm not saying that it's inapplicable to this category. But it might not be exclusive constitutionally, but the Congress has acted. Or, or Once it's acted, you're controlled. Well, or, but, but what Congress — if I may go back to the parole statute, before 1231A6 was enacted, the only statute that governed the detention and the release of aliens arriving at our shores, what uh, used to be called excludable aliens, was the parole statute. That provision, un- until uh, the aliens before this Court were ordered, By which you mean, the parole statute, by which you mean? 1182D5A. Okay. Yes. And uh, until there is an order of exclusion, even now, the parole statute is the only statute that governs the detention and release of the alien. And I think it would be impossible to read into 1182D5A any six-month limitation or any limitation at all on how long someone can be detained, because that statute sets up a presumption of custody with release only in the discretion of the Attorney General or now the Secretary of, of well, Homeland may, may Security. May I interrupt you there, Mr. Needler, because, I mean, the question is whether constitutionally we should respect that presumption. Uh, and and my, my, my question basically is this. I can perfectly well understand, and I can understand the, the argument for respecting that presumption. When you're dealing with excluded aliens who are in a literal territorial sense within the border, but are never allowed, in effect, beyond a point of initial custody, the ones who were kept at Ellis Island or wherever one may, may keep them. Uh, it is difficult, however, I, I think, to accept what has been called the, the fiction of custody when we are dealing with individuals who, although absolutely excludable, uh, were nonetheless welcomed into the United States by a public announcement of the President of the United States 
have been allowed into the American population just as clearly and as readily as they would have been under any other protocol of admission, and I guess in this case for something like 20 years, isn't there a point at which the the fiction of exclusion simply cannot be accepted for constitutional purposes? There are a number of responses to that. First, as a factual matter, uh, with respect to welcoming into the United States, what gets cited for that proposi- proposition is a statement by President Carter in May 5 of 1980. Uh, ten days later, before the aliens in this case came to this country, he made clear that people should not do this. He encouraged people not to go to uh, Cuba. The INS brought enforcement actions against people who went there. There were criminal prosecutions that were brought. Uh, so people were not encouraged to come to the United States in this way. With respect to the regime that you say, I, I believe you said they're, they're admitted just like under any other regime, that is not correct. Well, factually. They're no. allowed into the country, uh, you know, they can get jobs, own property, etc. They were allowed into the country under the parole statute that I just read, which makes, which makes it clear that they are admitted not not in a way that confers any rights on them, but they are admitted in the interest of the United States for public benefits under circumstances which make clear that it is not. No, I, I realize, but they are admitted in the sense that they say, okay, you can come in and you can do these things, but you get no, in effect, you get no vested right. We can take it away like that. No, vest, no vested right to come into the United States. It is, in effect, Right, but otherwise, vote. otherwise they are treated like any other class of aliens who are admitted into the United States. They are subject to this condition. The United States makes that clear. But they nonetheless can be in the country and do in the country what other aliens can do. At the sufferance of the United States. I, I know, subject but, to that condition. And, and the question we have here is when, the, when and if the United States, pursuant to this statute, decides no longer to suffer the aliens being um, at large, but instead to return them to the border, in effect, or return them to detention. This statute makes clear that that, that whatever uh, practical experience they have had at large in the country is always subject to revocation. No, I, I realize that. But the problem is you've got a due process clause that talks about persons, not citizens. Maybe I can understand the, the fiction that says it doesn't apply to these persons if, for practical purposes, we stop them at the border and we don't let them into society. Once we do let them into society, whether we say it's subject to this condition that can be revoked or not, I find it difficult to see a constitutional warrant for drawing the line that you want us to draw. This Court has always treated as the same uh, the custody of an alien who arrives at the border and has not been admitted, whether that person stays on the boat, goes to Ellis Island, which the Court said was not an entry that gave somebody constitutional rights to come here. In the Kaplan versus Todd case, you had the example of a person who was paroled for nine years and regarded as not being um, in the United States. Uh, and no, what- you're giving me prior examples, but the issue here is should we continue to respect that, what has been called that fiction, as to people who are allowed into the country and are allowed to move around like other aliens and indeed, in by and large, like citizens. 
With respect, it, I think it is not it is not a fiction with respect to the constitutional issue because th- there's a critical difference between, for example, a lawful permanent resident. A person does not a- a- acquire lawful permanent resident status by something like adverse possession by living in the United States for a long period of time. Is it an affirmative grant of status for permission to reside permanently in the United States? Which it is can a grant be revoked. Which can be revoked, and that's the, the distinction. It seems to me strange when somebody commits a deportable offense, they are stripped of whatever right they had to be here. They are, it seems to me, in the same boat as someone who is excludable. They, they do, do not have any right to remain. No more than a parolee has. We have taken away their right to remain. So it seems to me that they have no status anymore based on a prior admission that we have removed from them. This court, this court thought otherwise in in Zadvitas three years ago where it drew a distinction. It said the distinction between someone who has never entered the country and someone who has effected an entry. That's true. That's true. Absolutely we did. And also I'll assume for argument's sake that you're completely right on the constitutional point. That's just for argument's sake. But assume you are. So there's all kinds of constitutional difference. Still, I don't see how to read the statute one way for one group of people and another way for another. Uh, the statutory words in Zadvidas, uh, the words that the Attorney General uh, may detain uh, this individual beyond the removal period, are read in Zadvidas to mean beyond the removal period, may detain beyond the removal period, means uh, for a reasonable time, presumably six months, presumptively, Related, reasonable time related to the purpose of the statute, which is to find a country willing to accept it. Okay? Now, I haven't found a single case of this court where you interpret these complicated words one way for one and another way for another. My law clerk found a couple of cases, uh, communications work v. Bat and machinist v. Street, uh, where in Beck particularly, the court strongly implies the contrary. It says, you can't read words differently just because we interpreted in one stat, you know, one statute they were interpreted in light of constitutional considerations. Now we have those constitutional considerations aren't here, but it's the same words. You have to apply it the same but, way. But with respect, the Court did not construe any word in this statute to um, impose the limitation that you're describing. The, the way the Court posed the question was, does it, uh, does it, um, affirmatively grant a power for uh, uh, detention of these aliens in these circumstances. At the very beginning of the Court's opinion, the Court put to one that's side — That's an interpretation. It I says mean, — that's an interpretation. But, but, it says the statute does not confer power to hold beyond a reasonable period. But, but the, the, the mode of analysis of the Court, it starts with the introduction to the Court's opinion, uh, and this is at page 682. It says, uh, of, of Zadvidas, we deal here with aliens who are admitted, aliens who have not yet yeah, came. Yeah, that, that's right. No, but, right. but, but that, that's setting the ca- court, the, the case up. But then what the court says in terms of how it interprets this statute, we construe the statute to contain an implicit reasonable time limitation, the application of which is subject to federal court review. Well, what is a reasonable time? Depends upon the circumstances. Well, well, yeah, but what, what we put in the presumptively six months, but we said, in our view, the statute read in light of the Constitution's demands limits an alien's post-removal period detention to a period reasonably necessary to bring about that alien's removal from the United States. It does not permit indefinite detention. Interpreting it 
to avoid constitutional threat. We include that once removal is no longer reasonably foreseeable, continued detention is no longer authorized by statute. Now, I don't know what those sentences are doing unless they're interpreting the words I mentioned. And then later in the opinion, we say it's presumptively, no, what, not what, always, but presumptively what, six months. What, what, the, what the Court was doing was the, the standard that the Court announced at the beginning of its opinion was a reasonable, a reasonable time limitation, uh, the application of which is subject mm-hmm. to Court review. Mm-hmm. As applied to permanent resident aliens, the Court saw a, a constitutional problem and in that situation came up with a presumptive six-month rule. Well, it interpreted I, the statute as doing it. Now, that brings me back to the original. No, no I, I don't believe — with respect, what, what I believe the Court said was that there is a reasonable time limitation. And given the, given the distinction that runs throughout immigration law, as this Court said at page — 2,500 of the Supreme Court reports in this decision, the distinction between aliens who arrive at our borders and are governed by Mazai, as opposed to people who enter, runs throughout our immigration law. I would think that it would run throughout 1231. All right. I will — I can agree with you that the different classes are going to implicate different considerations on what is reasonable. But you, as I understand it, go the further step and say there is a presumption and perhaps an irrebuttable presumption that in the case of the, ex- the, the legally excluded, even though they are in fact in the country, the, the presumptive reasonable period is forever. And well, that's where — it's that stretch that's giving us the trouble. And uh, first of all, the Court doesn't have to decide that in this case because we have a regime where each of the aliens before this Court came here was paroled. Well, it's true, but we've got to say something. But if, if I may go to the Mazai case — what the Court said there is that the detention of the alien on Ellis Island was effectuating his exclusion. The two cannot be Mr. Needler, do you mind telling us whether the record shows where Martinez and Benitez are now? Where are they? Um, Benitez has been released to a halfway house. We sent the Court That's a letter last week. Uh, showing that the review process under these regulations actually works. It's been working for 15 years um, and as we explain in our brief, more than 9,000 people have been. So is that Bolton. case basically moot, Benitez's? He hasn't been, he hasn't been, I, I think he's still in, in custody. Whether, it, if, if he, if he uh, completes that and is released, mm-hmm. a question of mootness may arise All at right. that point. Where's Martinez? Martinez was released pursuant to the court or, uh, district court order um, almost two years ago, and he's, he's now at large under an order uh, of supervision. Mm-hmm. Mr. Needler, now, what? if I can continue for just a moment, and then I'll stop. Uh, there is um, a new statute, 1226A of Title VIII, part of the Patriot Act, which allows detention of aliens who threaten our safety or security. Presumably, that is an option if either of these people is seen if, to if there is an, if, if there is an, uh, an individualized reason to believe that an alien would be a terrorist or, or a threat to the security in that respect, but the threat and that's available. That, that's available, but the threat to the national security here is much larger than that. If, again, if we go back to the immigration crises involving Haiti and Cuba, mm-hmm. there, there is a threat to the national security when another nation can foist aliens onto our shores. Um, and and um, May I ask if you, the United uh, States had no ability to, to do Mr. Needler, can I ask you a question? Forgetting the statutes for a moment, I, which we've already covered in some way, just going to your constitutional position, 
it's clear that a person who's not been admitted and has been paroled could be excluded forthwith summarily and so forth because he's never been admitted. But does that person have any protection under the Constitution? Could we shoot him? No, no, surely. What, the, and what is the protection under the Constitution that he does have? Is it the due process clause? Whatever right would — in, in a criminal prosecution, the Bill of Rights would apply to that person. Is he, is he a person within yes, the Yes. Our, our position is not that he's that, — not that he's not a person. The question right. is what — is what processes do. And is he a person whose who's right to liberty is entitled to some protection? Very, very, very minimal. But there is some protection to that, that individual. It, depending upon the context, the one protection for liberty. Well, the he context not. is he got off a boat. We couldn't. Uh, the, the Cuba won't take him back, or, or whatever, wherever he came from. They can't. And the only thing we can do to keep him out of the country is to keep him in jail. He has no substantive due process right to be released into the United States. He doesn't. States. I, I, he doesn't have a right to be released. But, but we, you do not contend that we could kill him. No, absolutely not. He absolutely does have not. some some minimal protection under absolutely the Absolutely not. The formulation, and this was used in, in the Court's decision in Landon versus Placencia, the, the question is there are no constitutional rights in connection with his admission to the United States. And admission means, I think, both formal grant of admission and practical admission or entry. A but person, a person who runs in illegally, a person who crosses the border illegally, say, from Mexico, is entitled to these rights when you catch him. He's entitled to procedural due process no. rights. We don't believe he — that person has any more substantive due process right to remain at large in the United States. But you — I thought there was a reg of the INS. Now, with, Am I not right? With, with, Tell respect, me if I'm right. Reg, with respect to the regulations, but — Can I, I say what it is? Yes, I'm sorry. I thought there was a reg, to be sure we're talking about the same thing, where the INS has said that Zadvidas applies to — individuals who run into the United States illegally from Mexico. Am I right about that? The the, the INS has, or now DHS has applied it. I I don't know that there's an analysis in there that says Zadvidas requires it. I don't think either the statute or particularly the Constitution would give somebody who sneaks across our border a right to remain here, a substantive due process right, to be here, maybe procedural rights would be different, but, but as Mr. Needler, may, may, I, may I try to get in the question I did earlier? Uh, is is 8 U.S.C. Section 1182 D5, was, was that applicable in Zedvitas as it's applicable here? No, because uh, those were lawful permanent residents whose, whose uh, uh, lawful permanent residency had, had they came in under a grant of lawful permanent So this residence. is a new string to your bow in this case? Yes, because these aliens entered the United States. But it wouldn't, only. it wouldn't apply to the illegal alien because it's a statute that governs parole. And they're not paroled into the United States. But someone, someone who would be picked up would be an applicant for admission and could be released under this, under this statute. But, our, but focusing here on the people excluded at the border, how this is that, the only way someone. How does that make that person the illegal entrant a parolee? He would be an applicant for admission, and the, the, I, I believe I believe I'm correct. Suppose on he says, "I don't want to apply for admission. I just don't want to be locked up." The act treats him as an applicant for admission under 1225A1, Mr. Chief Justice, if I may. Very well, Mr. Needler. Uh, Ms. Dahl, we'll hear from you. Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the court. Because the same words mean the same thing in the same statute, this Court need not reach the constitutional questions presented by the indefinite detention of inadmissible as opposed to deportable aliens. 
without going to questions of constitutional doubt, there are three reasons why this Court should hold that Section 1231A6 treats inadmissible aliens the same as it treats deportable aliens. Before you get to that, do you think that that's the only statute applicable here? What about 1182D5? What's your response to uh, uh, the government's uh, assertion that that's an independent basis? Justice Scalia, I don't believe it provides an independent basis for detention. The immigration law works together in its various elements, and Section 1182, when parole is revoked, treats the alien then as an applicant for admission, and Section 1229 places the applicant for admission into removal proceedings. Uh, the government did not obtain a ruling on that argument from the Ninth Circuit, although it made reference to 1182 in its uh, motions to stay the briefing schedule. Uh, it ultimately conceded that this case was con- uh, controlled by Lin Gao Shi, which was a statutory construction of 1231A6, and cert was granted on the 1231A6 issue only. The reading of the statute that we proffer that the same words mean the same meaning uh, is consistent with the overall changes Congress made in 1996 in IRERA when it eliminated the category of excludable aliens and replaced it with a single broader category now called removable aliens that embraces both inadmissible and deportable aliens. Third, Congress knows how to provide for indefinite detention when it wants to. Well, how do you explain then, uh, Ms. Dahl, the language in the court's uh, Zadvita's opinion that had, were we dealing with, in effect, offshore aliens, this would be a much different case. I believe it would present a different question, but the constitutional issues presented by indefinite detention remain. The court doesn't need to reach those. Uh, so you say that a, a, per, a person, even though they're not lawfully admitted into the United States, still couldn't be indefinitely detained? Yes, Your Honor, that is our, our point precisely. Uh, the government was not correct when it said that uh, it that this court has uh, always treated excludable aliens the same. In a case that was a contemporary of the Mazai decision, Kwang Hai Chu cited at page 45 of our brief, the court found that an excludable entrant on Ellis Island was entitled to. The, the government distinguishes that case. What do you make of their distinction? We disagree. I think that it shows that the court will consider length of time in the country in determining what uh, amount of due process is required. Now, the plain language of the statute of 1231A6 requires the same treatment between inadmissible and deportable aliens. Where there is no difference in the language that Congress has used, this Court can draw no distinctions. Um, there is a presumption that Congress expects its statutes to be read in the same manner as the Supreme Court's interpretations. And because of the interrelationship between the parole statute and the uh, revocation proceedings and removability proceedings, there's no reason for this Court to resort to the 1182 statute to provide the authority that the government seeks. The relevant authority is Section 1231A6. Well, what do you think we should do with the 1182? Because suppose you prevail on your argument that it's the same statute, the same word. It can't be construed differently under 12-whatever. And the government says, fine, 
we, we now go to the other string in our bow, and we continue to de- detain this person on the basis of 1182 D5A. Well, the 1182 D5A doesn't provide for indefinite detention. What it provides is that upon revocation of parole, the uh, alien is placed into removal proceedings. Once the removal proceedings have been determined and a final order of removal is entered, 1231A requires removal within 90 days, and failing that, the appropriate, the uh, relevant statutory provision is 1231A6. That says that the alien may be detained beyond the removal period and then, if released, uh, subjected to conditions of supervision. 1231 is the only statutory authority for post-removal period detention. Parole deals with entry. And 1231A6. Well, but you haven't answered, I think, the question of whether the government is entitled, in this case, if we dispose of the 1231 question, to resort to the other statute. But I don't think that the Court could carve out um, a statute and use it in a way contrary uh, to the way it functions in the immigration scheme and make uh, superfluous or irrelevant a more express, more uh, detailed statutory provision. Well, what you're saying is that uh, even if 1182 comes first, 1231 comes second. Precisely, Your Honor. And I don't think that the government could revoke parole and then suspend proceedings to determine the admissibility of a parolee indefinitely. Still, is this another, could, could we do this? Uh, I noticed that, that your peti- the petition for cert in Benitez has two questions, both of which are about interpreting 1231A6. The government's petition, though not its brief, the government's petition in Crawford says the question presented is whether 1231A6 in Zadvitas compelled the release. So this other, this other matter uh, is a totally, seen as a totally separate ground. Perhaps the thing to do is we send it back. And if they can want to raise it, they can raise it. And it would be up to the circuit to decide whether they'd preserved it or not preserved it. <laughs> is that is that a sensible thing? I don't think so, because I don't think that 1182 allows the interpretation that the government and That's your to- view of, of, of what 1182 means, and they're going to have a different view. So they want to argue their different view. They could do it in the Ninth Circuit. If they've waived it, they've waived it. And that's up to them, not up to us. What the Ninth Circuit found, though, in questions of uh, an inadmissible alien that this Court's construction of 1231A6 in Zavitis applied, and there would be no need for uh, resort to any other statute. May I ask if uh, you believe the uh, con- uh, supervision after the 90-day period covered in sub- subparagraph 3, is there a — can that continue indefinitely in your view? Yes. While the alien is awaiting removal, he is subject to supervision conditions that will uh, safeguard the government's interests. And for as long as he is waiting, he is under supervision. It's those supervision conditions that uh, distinguish this case from the situation where the government is finding uh, national security risks. That uh, Congress has expressly provided 
for the indefinite detention of people whom uh, the Attorney General certifies as presenting uh, risks to national security. It's also the presence of a national security risk that distinguishes this case from the Mazai decision. I think that um, the government makes more of that decision than needs to be made in order to find that Mr. Benitez and Mr. Martinez are in different situations. They were allowed into this country. They have lived here for 24 years. Uh, and How long had the, the, the detainee in, however you pronounce it, Mazai, lived in the United States? Mr. Mazai had been in the United States for 25 years before he left, and he was gone for an extended period of time. Uh, when he sought to return, he was treated as if he were an initial entrant, and the government, uh, citing national security, uh, excluded him without a hearing and refused to disclose the evidence that uh, was the basis for the exclusion. He challenged that and wanted a hearing and wanted the Attorney General to be required to disclose the evidence. Uh, the Court found that his release into the community itself would present a security risk and therefore sustained the denial of the hearing and the detention of Mr. Mazai. I, I don't think it really said they, they found there was a security risk. They, they held that the government did not have to explain because the man had no right to come in. That's correct. What's, what's your best answer to the government's argument that unless you treat uh, this case differently from Zadvitis, uh, at least for purposes of reasonable time um, uh, or reasonable interest, which affects time, the United States is basically defenseless against countries that, that want to dump undesirable aliens and force them into the United States? I don't think that applying the statute as it's written leaves the government defenseless. Because? If Congress can pass another statute if it needs to, and the is government it, — But it's defenseless under the present law? I disagree. We have — Then what is the defense? We have very effective means of uh, interdicting — What are they? Well, after the Mariel boat lift, the government changed its policy and now intercepts people who are coming from Cuba by boat and detains them at Guantanamo Bay, does a screening, and has a uh, — more effective repatriation process for people that they do not want. So you're saying they can actually exclude in practical terms? Yes. You want us to take judicial notice that the Mexican border and American border is impervious? (laughs) I think that would present a different question. As uh, the government acknowledged, um, people who come into the country without inspection are entitled under the government regulations to the protections under Zavitas. And And there's no — and there's no answer to uh, Justice Souter's question with regard to people who, who, once they enter that way, right? Well, the government has — Except the new statute. The, well, Congress has, has, by definition, treated those people as inadmissible aliens who are subject to removal proceedings. And the interdiction uh, methods are the purely political decisions that the government needs to make. But they, in any case, those individuals are not the subject of sort of dumping action by their own governments. That's correct, Your Honor. Does the uh, Congress has passed a special statute in respect to terrorism, hasn't it, where it does authorize detention of any of these people who are engaged in terrorism? Uh, Now, I don't know how that is defined. (coughs) Is that defined to relieve uh, in a way that's broad enough to relieve some of the problem? Well, if — well, first of all, the government has the ability to detain, pending the removal proceedings, of people who are trying 
to come into the country. The question becomes if they can't be repatriated. Now, the Patriot Act in 1226A does allow, in instances of national security, for the Attorney General to indefinitely detain. Now, importantly, that statute provides for procedural protections and judicial review that is absent from But are, are the people here are charged with any sort of terrorist activities? They were committed, convicted of crimes. But I, I, I didn't think they were connected with terrorist activities. That's correct. The government has not made any allegation that there's — Normal harmless criminals. Yeah. Right? <laughs> Their release from uh, prison presents the same issues that the release of any person who has served the sentences that uh, were imposed after the commission of a crime. Well, except that with aliens, they can be deported, whereas a citizen can't be upon release from prison. That's correct. And the conditions of supervision that the government can impose um, are much lengthier and could be even more onerous than the kinds of supervision conditions after prison that the government could impose on the citizens. In this case, Mr. Martinez and Mr. Zavitas both received permission to live here, both committed crimes, both served their sentences, and both were ordered removed. Nothing in Section 1231A6 warrants making Mr. Martinez wait for removal in a federal prison, perhaps for the rest of his life, while Mr. Zavidas awaits removal for, after having been I thought released. the other person was named Benitez. I thought we had Zavidas in the other case. Do we have two, a Martinez and a Benitez here? Y- yes, Your Honor. I was okay. drawing a comparison between the situation of Mr. Zavidas and Mr. Martinez. Detention, of course, needs to be reasonably related to its purpose. Here, removal cannot be achieved, so detention for that purpose becomes arbitrary and punitive, and we'd ask the Court to affirm the grant of habeas corpus and Mr. Martinez's release on supervision conditions. Thank you, Ms. Dahl. Mr. Mills, we'll hear from you. Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the Court, I think that we have lost sight of the statutory scheme that applies here. Section 1182D5A is not a detention statute. It's clearly not preserved as an initial matter. It was not in the answer to either habeas petition. Uh, the justification given in the district court in both cases but 1231A6. But, Justice Breyer, there is no need to remand this case because a clear, simple reading of the immigration statutes demonstrates that 1182 is not a detention statute. You have to go through the process, and I attempted to do this in my reply brief, but I think I can do it a little bit more clearly for the Court this morning. When an alien first arrives, he's an applicant for admission. Section 1225B2A of Title VIII United States Code says an applicant for admission, any applicant for admission, shall be detained until a removal proceeding, unless it is clear beyond any doubt that they are entitled to come in. So all aliens, when they apply, That's the detention statute that initially applies, 1225B2A. They are to be detained until there is a removal proceeding. The removal proceeding, which is governed by 1229A1, I'm sorry, 1226A, it is 1229A, is to determine whether the alien is admissible or not, whether they should come in or whether they must be removed. So 1225B2A says detain until that point. 1182D5A then comes in to authorize the government to stop that process for humanitarian reasons and parole an alien in. We won't have the removal process. 
we're going to, we're going to get out of the detention in 1225b2a and we're going to let you out on parole, which is discretionary. That's 1182d5a. If at any time we in our discretion think it is no longer appropriate to keep you on parole, we can revoke that parole. And the statute 1182d5a says once parole is revoked, the alien is treated as, quote, any other applicant for admission. So you go back to 1225b2a, which says detain them until the removal proceeds. Well, you, you skipped a, a phrase. It, it says when the Attorney General is of the opinion that the purposes of the parole should justify nothing more, uh, the individual shall return or be returned to the custody from which he began, and their argument is that custody is different in these cases. That custody is the custody under 1225b2a. That is the statute that authorizes the custody. That's what they're being returned to. 1225b2a is detention until the removal proceedings. And in the DeMore v. Kim case, this case, this court said that even if it's a long time and there aren't other procedures in place, you can be detained until your removal order is entered. Uh, Because, and and the emphasis was there's an end date to that. So there's an end date to detention under b2a, 1225b2a, and it's the removal proceedings. Section 1231 is the statute that governs removal and says, okay, now what happens? It says you have to remove within 90 days, but for certain aliens who've committed crimes or are inadmissible or are otherwise determined to be dangerous, we can detain them beyond. It says may be detained beyond the period. That is the only statute that authorizes any detention of an alien after a removal order other than the specific terrorist statute, 1226A, which was enacted, which does not authorize indefinite detention. It says it has a paragraph labeled indefinite detention, and it says the government shall not indefinitely detain a terrorist alien that it cannot remove, except that if the government determines, and, and it appears to put the burden on the government, that the person is a danger to national security or the community, it can detain them for another six months. And then you, you, could, you could have indefinite detention, but each time, each six months, the statute provides for review. So not only do the sneakers, the aliens who cross across the border in the, in the dark of night from Mexico or wherever, not only do they, under the government's own admission, have the Zedvitus rights, so too do terrorist aliens by statute. And to suggest that by some implication Congress has intended to authorize the indefinite detention of people that we thought we should welcome into our country, even though we didn't have the ability under our quota system and under our current regulations in 1980 to let them in, somehow they have no rights against indefinite detention. For the government how, how do you how do you answer the government's argument that this is necessary that the United States shouldn't effectively be punished for being humanitarian and if we can't hold these people if we're forced to let them in, then any rogue nation can dump anyone it wants on the United States and we can't stop it. But, Yes, Your Honor, uh, Justice Ginsburg, that's their sole policy argument, and frankly, it doesn't hold water. Just yesterday in the JAMA case, the government took the position that if Mexico flooded, flooded our borders with illegal aliens, who we could not detain, we know under their own regulations, if they snuck in, we couldn't detain them. But if a new Mexican, uh, there was a Mexican dictator and he flooded our borders, could we forcibly repatriate them? And the government said, absolutely we can. We can go down and put them back in Mexico. We could do that with the Cubans. We could let them out the gate at Guantanamo Bay. Uh, if a, a rogue nation truly invades our country with its bad aliens, that is an infringement on our sovereignty, and I think that's an act of war. And I think the president has all kinds of options. Trade sanctions go to the United Nations, diplomacy. 
if it's really something bad that's going to be a, nas- a threat to our national security, well, you I might, think you, you might wait a while if you went to the United Nations or, or to. <laughs> I, mean, I take it the government feels you need some sort of an Im- rather, rather immediate recourse. Sure, and our government has demonstrated that it be- believes in preemptive, preemptive action, and we can go in and have regime, regime change. In Cuba, if it, if it is such a threat, if it's a political decision, the purely executive decision, that our national security is so threatened, they have all kinds of tools. This, this regime is not sending, an, you know, an armed flotilla to Florida. They've just, just, they, they just open their jails and say, hey, you know, go wherever you want. And these people say, I want to get out of here. And they go to Florida. That was You, you want us to bomb Cuba because of that? That was less than 1 percent of the Cubans who came in the Mariel boat lift. That did occur. And we do have options for dealing with them. We can return them forcibly. If they don't allow us, that's like them sending a missile. It's, we, we could destroy the missile. We can't destroy a human being. By punishing a human being that Castro sends over, we're not sending a message to Castro. We're not saying, ah, you sent your prisoners over here and we're going to indefinitely detain them. Mental torture. That'll teach you. That's what, you, what you mean when you say we can forcibly return them is literally we can take them to Guantanamo, take them to the gate, and push them out? That's one option. If, if the Cuban uh, army is there to prevent us, you know, maybe it would require uh, some military action that the administration might decide is not advisable. But those are the options depending on the size of the threat. So a judicial interpretation that the statute means the same thing in all contexts does not deprive the government of anything. And I'd like to go back to that, if I could. I thought uh, — maybe I, I misunderstood you, but I thought that one of your points were even assuming that we couldn't send these people back into Cuba without having a major conflagration, the rogue dictator is not going to be deterred by our tossing even into the sea the people that he doesn't want. That, that is my point. That's the point that I, I, I intend to make, that indefinitely detaining these people, that does nothing to a dictator. That does nothing to deter a dictator. All it means is we're going to be incurring the huge cost of incarcerating a large number of people, and if anything, that may encourage the dictator to do exactly that. Or it may encourage the dictator, instead of sending them to Key West on boats, on American boats, to sneak them up on speedboats or take them through Mexico and sneak them across anyway, the border. Anyway, it's a little drastic. I, I guess that before this happens, Congress might enact a statute like the terrorist statute. Exactly. That, that, that is exactly correct, Justice Breyer. And if they think whether uh, a, a Cuban, a Mariel Cuban, can be put in jail, and these are in prison for the rest of their life, is a huge policy decision. And this Court should abstain from putting its voice as, onto the answer. That is a decision for Congress in the first place. In Zedvitas, this Court said the statute doesn't clearly do that, so we're not going to, we're not going to answer that question as to whether Well, it's a policy decision either way. I, I suppose if Zedvitas had come out of the other way, that Congress could have responded as well. That's correct. But in, in, in this case, uh, because especially the Zedvitas aliens had clear constitutional rights, we avoid the question. The doctrine of constitutional avoidance says the Court doesn't engage in that the default is to stay away from it. If Congress wants to do something that might be unconstitutional, they can come back and do it, and then the Court will determine whether it's unconstitutional. Um, back to the point of whether 1231A6 can mean something different for the two groups of aliens. Never before has this Court taken a statute. Well, how do you explain, Mr. Mills, the language that the Court used pointing out 
how different this kind of a case would have been from the, from the Zedvitas case. Sure. My reading of that, stat, of that decision, there were two parts of the decision. There was part one, which examined whether there is a, or it, it determined whether the statute is ambiguous, and part two is whether there's a constitutional error. It was only in the part of the decision deciding whether there's a constitutional problem that the distinction was made. The distinction makes the difference in whether there's a problem or not. And maybe there's not a problem for inadmissible aliens. So the Court then concluded in Zedvitas that because there's a problem, we look at the statute. This statute could be interpreted to authorize indefinite detention or not. It's ambiguous. Because we have a problem, at least with one category, we're going to choose the safe route. It might have been a a means of uh, warning Congress off one area, but not the other. Uh, That is to say, just because we think there's a constitutional doubt here, and therefore Congress might be sailing close to the wind if they tried to overrule our opinion by statute, doesn't mean that Congress couldn't, in this other area, uh, alter the result in Zadvitas. I think that that is absolutely a a conclusion that can be drawn. Of course, I dissented in that case, so I'm not saying this was a good (laughs) idea. But it's interesting, in in just my, uh, my, my own information, uh, then Congress did respond, and there were two areas in Zadvitas that, you know, didn't warn Congress off. One is the one we're talking about now, the other is terrorism. And Congress responded in the terrorism matter. Is that right? But they didn't do anything in that. That's absolutely correct. And they're responding again right now in the 9-11 Commission bill. Uh, there is a section that's being negotiated as to whether terrorist aliens who can't be removed because they would be tortured, whether they can be indefinitely detained. And they're looking at the same limiting language. One point that I'd like to make that I did not get to make directly in the brief, but it was raised, Justice Scalia, you had a question yesterday in the Leocal case, and it it raised an issue that I hadn't looked at before uh, on whether a statute can be interpreted differently in a situation where the reason to interpret it is no longer there. And that's uh, the rule of lenity cases. And I cite it as a supplemental authority, United States versus Thompson Center Arms Company, 504 U.S. 505. It's a 1992 decision, and it involved a tax code provision. And the question is, do we pr- apply the rule of lenity? And, Justice Stevens, in dissent, you said no, because this is a civil case. The rule of lenity doesn't apply. But a three-judge plurality, uh, an opinion by Justice Souter, and a two-judge two judge concurrence by Justice Scalia both agreed that the rule of lenity applied because the statute applies both in criminal and civil contexts. And you can't have one meaning in criminal context and another in civil. For the same reason, the rule of constitutional avoidance should not result in a statute being interpreted one way when there would be a doubt and another way when there would not. Well, what about the argument that the statute, in effect, limits the uh, – or our interpretation limits the the detention to a period reasonably related to the government's interest in accomplishing that interest? Uh, That interest is different in in the case of, of aliens who are excluded, if we accept that class, as distinct from all excludables, uh, and and that may allow a much longer period of detention, among other things, to deter dictators from from dumping. You've given us an answer to what to do if they dump, but we don't want them to dump in the first place. Uh, that argument stops short of saying we can detain them for life, but it would support the, the position that on a consistent interpretation of the statute, the government could detain them longer in the excluded cases than in others. What's your answer to that? My answer to that is that that might be a, a legislative policy decision to make that distinction. But in 1996, ARERA abolished the distinction between inadmissible and deportable aliens 
after they've been ordered removed. Up until that time, it makes a difference. It makes a difference under the Constitution. But once they've been ordered removed, and this was the government's argument in Zedvitus, once they've been ordered removed, regardless of how they got here in the first place, they no longer have any right to be here at all. There is only one class of excludables by the government's own choice. That's, that's basically your answer. After a removal proceeding, there's only one class. Yeah. That is correct. Yeah. Uh, if there are no more questions, I would just ask that the Court uh, reverse in this case. If there are any mootness concerns about Mr. Benitez, I would refer the Court to Friends of the Environment, which said that when a challenged practice is stopped voluntarily, that does not moot a case out in the Supreme Court unless there's some reason to believe they won't go at it again. And the government has asserted that it can revoke his release at any time for any reason and detain him indefinitely. And the suggestion that the fact that he's been released under the Cuban Review Panel shows that his, he's been protected is, uh, is not well taken. He was determined when he first was detained in, 19, in 2001 that he was eligible under the Cuban Review Panel to be released. It took three years and the week before this case was argued in the highest court of the land before the Immigration Service did what its own regulations told it it had to do. Thank you very much. Thank you, Mr. Mills. Uh, Mr. Needler, you have four minutes remaining. Thank you, Mr. Chief Justice. Justice Souter, you're exactly right in terms of why the statutory construction or statutory application of the terms in Sadvitas does not control here. The Court's starting point, again, back to page 682 of its opinion, it says, we deal here with aliens who were admitted. The way the Court dealt in the opinion was a matter of statutory construction. And it did it by reading into the statute a reasonable time limitation. What is reasonable for aliens who, who uh, have been admitted and are subject to what were called de- deportation is different from aliens who were stopped at the border. And, in fact, in the, in the Court's statutory analysis, it looked to the point that in the Wittkowitz jurisdictional statement referring to Congress's constitutional doubts about uh, — detention of more than six months. Those were constitutional doubts about people who were being deported after having been allowed to be here. There what, what's, never- your, what's your answer to Mr. Mills's position that the government has, in fact, statutorily waived that distinction by creating one class of excludables? It, uh, with, with, respect, it has, with respect, it has not. And, and uh, um, if, I, if I could e- explain this, uh, this, going back to Mazai, this Court held and, in fact, rejected a very similar argument. The, the rationale of the Court of Appeals in Mazai was that deportable aliens are subject to an express, not an implied, six-month limitation. And the Court of Appeals said the, aliens in that ca- the alien in that case, once he couldn't be removed to another country, should be released because the purpose of keeping him, to return him to another country, was no longer being served. This Court rejected that argument, even though there was a statutory express limitation of six months for deportable aliens, held that an alien who had been on Ellis Island for two years did not have to be released. In reliance on that decision, Congress passed the parole statute to leave the release in not, excuse me, that uh, Mazai was after it, but the Congress, the executive branch has relied on that rationale. The Cuban review regulations that are at issue here have been in place for 15 years under the parole statute. As Congress well knew when it acted in 1996, the, this program uh, was the subject of many hearings in Congress. There were cases, the Barrera case out of the Ninth Circuit sustained a 10-year detention of a Mariel Cuban. It is implausible to believe in 1996 when Congress enacted IRERA that it intended to cut back on the longstanding power of the executive branch to prevent hordes of aliens from coming into our country and to impose an arbitrary six-month limitation. 
I think there's no argument that if an alien is detained before uh, removal proceedings are begun, that there is no six-month limitation. His release is entirely up to the Attorney General under the parole regulations. It's, it's implausible to believe that once Congress actually enters a formal order of exclusion or now removal against an alien, the person's no longer in an ambiguous situation, the executive branch says you're not eligible, that suddenly that person who has been formally found not eligible would be subject to a six-month limitation uh, uh, that did not apply up until 96 and doesn't even apply until these, to these aliens um, uh, until removal proceedings have been begun. So the right way to look at this statute is what's a reasonable time under 1230A1A6 has to take into account that historic background of the United States being able to protect its borders. And there is no indication whatsoever that Congress intended to overrule this longstanding program for Mario Cubans, which has operated, as I said, for 15 years. Thank you, Mr. Needler. The case is submitted. The Honorable Court is adjourned till Monday next at 10 o'clock.